Hello. My name is Rhea Tickle. Okay. 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 Yeah, End so, podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. The job is already taken. End the episode for good. <laughs> Get out of here. There must have been a mistake. I'm going to come back five times, even though you've threatened to kill me. Like, what? <laughs> Lady, who are you? Rita Tickle is officially my favorite video game character. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Oh my Don't God. at me. Don't at uh. me. Zoe. Hi. James. That's me. Gabe. Hello. Nice. Guys, you had one job. McCoy said, literally, just say your name, just say here. <laughs> that was roll call. And everyone but me said something but fucking I'm different. I'm unique. I'm a special <laughs> snowflake. Dude, like, spot the programmer is the guy who's like, that was not the command issued. <laughs> no, for real. He's like, you just aired all of our systems. You can't just fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> We can't take that kind of input. <laughs> Next time, James, when you when you do roll call, he'll give you SQL injection, and we'll see what happens to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, truncate table. You're like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more like select star from whatever. But yeah. Um, hmm. Well, it's just starting off real nerdy. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like it's, triggered because work is game. stressful right now. <laughs> I mean, you're right. All right. Wait, hold on. Before we... I was just thinking about this concept of, like... So, you're in Skyrim, right? And there are children, right? And you can't kill them, right? So, can you imagine, like, what that would be like in that world if that was not, like, a meta thing, but that was, like, a real thing? Like, children were actually invulnerable? Like, they would be, like, the best The children's crusade would make a lot more sense. It would. Yeah, right. And then you would, like... Isn't there, like, an old YouTube video of this guy who, like, did a mod where all the children can attack like a giant or something and he's like he's like channeling something and he turns over the mountain and this horde of children is coming over the mountain he's like my army of children and then one of the, like, the ogres hits one of the kids and because the mod is so janky the child just like shoots into space and he's like holy shit an astronaut i'm so proud <laughs> I, I think i think that's actually just a part of skyrim yeah, it is. isn't it like when the giants smack things they just get catapulted into space because Skyrim is a Bethesda game and they only playtest a little. But like that was the best bug ever. Like there was plenty of bugs in that game that sucked, but that one where like you do the slow motion death scene as you're ragdolling when you get one shot by one of those guys at the beginning of the game, it's just you catapulting into the stratosphere. It's awesome. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Like I remember trying to like game it a little by like getting a save outside of a giant and then trying to like hit it while sprinting and jumping to see if I could like fly in a particular direction just to explore via <laughs> nuclear launch <laughs> so so before we get into the actual thing i think that cold start makes a lot more sense if we we tell everyone if mccoy decides to even edit this in that we were talking about punching children before the podcast started so it makes sense in context right yeah <laughs> and we were be, we were being very delicate about the issue by the way before the recording started and now we've stopped giving a fuck and we're just saying crazy shit right <laughs> that's exactly mm. correct and there are no deviations from that story so let's get into it. Well, so first off, I want to say um, I want to go last for introductions today. Wow. Got something planned. Okay. Yep. The suspense. Yeah. I'll go first. Okay. 
All right, my name is James, and today I'm drinking a beer called Duchess de Bourgogne, which is a Fancy. Flemish red. Uh, it's pretty delicious, and it has um, a flavor profile which is reminiscent of um, balsamic vinegar in an interesting way. I was going to say, is that a good so, thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it Welcome good. to our beer review podcast. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people from the audience just send in beers, and then we drink them and get drunk on the podcast, and then, you know. And talk about video games. Yeah, yeah, and then we talk about video games on the side, and it's a tangent, but whatever. <laughs> Honestly, I've heard worse gimmicks for podcasts. Yeah. Oh, man. I once had a beer that was one of those, like, you could do this, but why moments where it was, okay, actually it was wine. It was wine and it was uh, aged in a bourbon barrel. So the premise of it is like, it's wine, right? But it tastes kind of like bourbon and you drink it and you're like, wow, you really succeeded at this. However, this is awful. (laughs) 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 That's also true of any beer above like 12% alcohol is that it's like, yep you really did a good job making a super alcoholic beer that no one would ever want to drink. Yeah, I agree. But if you go under 12 though, if you go like nine, then I can't even tell. And I just get wasted instantly. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've been tricked before. Anyways, um, I'm McCoy and I got tricked by 9% beers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like dark, weird artsy games that apparently I like the fact that, when you're in Skyrim, you get bonked on the head and you fly into the stratosphere because glitches can be fun. You know, McCoy, what you should say is, hi, I'm McCoy. I drink 9% beers and then have to go to the bathroom literally every 10 minutes afterwards. <laughs> okay, that is actually true. Because, um, <laughs> like, I, so I do, it was so fucked up. I felt like my dad because, like, my dad, when we were um, younger, like, when I when I would, like, watch movies with him, he would always, like pause the movie right at the cliffhanger because he could like sense the pacing of the movie just like you know and he would just like he picked the worst possible time to end and have me (laughs) go to school the next day and so i felt like that with this i was like god i have to go to the bathroom what's the most epic point possible like we're about to like strangle this lady just like and i'm gonna be right back and all i hear just (laughs) stop like from the background so yeah that's me gabe you want to go Hi, I'm Gabe, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. Nice. <laughs> this podcast may not be the best place for you, too. <sighs> Hi, I'm Adam, and I'm teetotal, and I don't know why I'm on this podcast anymore. <laughs> what is teetotal? Uh, I don't drink. Oh. Te- teetotalers, teetotalers do not drink. Oh. <clears throat> Fair enough. Fair enough. You're just like, yeah, I don't know, smelled good from here. <laughs> Honestly, though, it does. Like, most, most things do smell good, and... Well, okay, that's just uh, that was an overbroad statement. Um, <laughs> most drinks do smell good, um, but yes, I do not. I do not drink. It's your first generalization of the podcast, and I didn't even have to jump on you for it. So fair enough. Um, I fixed it. It's okay. Yeah, no, well done, well played. Um, okay, moving on. Hello, my <laughs> name is Rhea Tickle. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, end podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, the job is already taken. End the episode, Perkin. <laughs> Get out of here. There must have been a mistake. I'm going to come back five times, even though you've threatened to kill me. Like, what? <laughs> Lady, 
Who are you? Rita Tickle is officially my favorite video game character. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. Don't at me. Don't at me. Dude, Rita Tickle seems like she would have tweeted about that experience. Like, yeah, I went to go, you know, babysit. And then there was this very weird, strange mother that told me to, like, fuck off and all that shit. So I went back. Um <laughs> I don't know. And then at the end of that whole like yakety sack scene, they just like cut to black, and then you're like, "Well, that was awkward." And it's like, "How the fuck did you get out of that? What?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they just like elide over this whole thing that like should have been in like an entire chapter. I mean, it would have been awful, but I mean, no surprises. Um, anyway, yeah. my name is not Rita Tickle. My name is Zoe, and I am the narrative game darling of this podcast. And I am yeah, but so what do you, ready what do you drink? to get into this. Uh, right now, I'm drinking a uh, a Shorts Soft Parade Shandy. Oh. A Fruiterai Ale. It is like 3.5% alcohol, so really it's... Oh, hardcore. Juice. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying life. And I'm ready to talk about this game. So, I guess I will just do a brief... On the last episode of Game Club. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, can we uh, edit last this? Can episode you just put the entire of... last episode? Yeah, literally <laughs> just, oh my god. I could. No, <laughs> what you should do is just do like little audio segments of just Adam losing his goddamn mind last episode. <laughs> On the last episode. Oh, space bar. What? Yeah. Oh. I'm going to put that in the file of other bullshit this game didn't teach me. <laughs> Dude, Adam had some fucking check- killer lines last week, like right in the middle of us, like in a heated debate. And I'm like, fucking Adam, I swear I'm going to get him. And he just says some shit and it like cuts to me. If you could see my face just being like, holy fuck, that was so funny. Did anyone else hear that? Did anyone else hear that? That was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, this week we played the final half of The Cat Lady, chapters five through seven. And uh, when we left, last left Susan, she uh, killed a bunch of cannibals. And that is where we end up at. And so, with that, I want to get. Before, like, you know, just one or two sentences before we can delve into grievances, things that we like about it. But the cat lady, what'd y'all think? Um, so in general, I think this kind of came through on the last one, um, but it's in general, not a big fan of it. Um, I, I guess was maybe less angry at it this time because I was following a walkthrough instead of dealing with the puzzles. Um, and it was passable um once you get beyond that but nothing spectacular nothing good wait i'm sorry was this the cat lady or was this your first sexual experience (laughs) (laughs) ouch (laughs) wow okay i I swear i'm not drunk yet i swear (laughs) just Wanted to say that Adam will not be joining us next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it's. I think it's important to say that you know it's fairly normal for someone's first time to be kind of not that great, just because no one knows what they're doing at that point. Oh, a hundred percent. But for the record, no. I was talking about the cat okay. lady. You just mean to be very clear. These yeah. game developers. <clears throat> what? There goes our endorsement from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we lost that last episode when I was screaming at them. Yeah, <laughs> that might have gone out the window. 
No, fuck that. I'm still going for a voice voice uh, voice audition for them for their next game. So uh, I need to be on good terms. Yeah, we joke. Maybe we'll make come back. I would really <laughs> seriously love to do that somehow. Like we should actually put ourselves out there because I would do that for free for sure. That'd be awesome. So other people's thoughts, one or two sentences, as Zoe has requested. Oh yeah, the rules. I thought it. I don't know. I did not like it. Fair enough. And I thought the writing got worse in the second half. Which is kind of surprising. Yeah, that's that's the twist <clears throat> you didn't expect, right? <laughs> I did. So this is just a quick aside, but I kind of enjoyed how at the very end of the game, um, like after like the credit, not like right before credits. No, actually, sorry. After the credits roll, it says press any key to live. And this exit yes. the game. Oh, that is thereby giving you your life back. Yeah, that is something that I wish <laughs> Apex Legends would do sometimes. But then it just crashes, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> um, I guess I'll jump in. Uh, I still really liked it. I think there's some like come to earth in the second half where they have to wrap things up and they have to sort of answer the loose ends and they have to bring it together. And I think that just for me in general is not as exciting as like the crazy like what could it possibly be um part of a story like the middle um that being said i liked it um i liked it a lot i still liked it all the way through the end uh and i'm glad we played it and i'm really glad we're doing this for two weeks and i think there's quite a bit to, to talk about so i'm excited yeah i did too um still kind of the same thing as the first half of the gameplay mechanics and design were kind of kind of out there but i still enjoyed the story all the way to the end despite how weird it could get at moments and it got fucking weird. Oh, yeah, it did. <clears throat> I mean, I personally, kind of echoing both McCoy and Gabe, I really like the story of this. Sure, gameplay's jank, and people can't get past the audio on this, but those things don't really bother me. I honestly really like the story, and I like how involved the story got. There is so much beneath the surface of what you initially look at, and even... Having played it myself, and then I watched McCoy and Gabe play through it a second time, and then I also watched a Let's Play on YouTube of it, just because I know there are multiple endings to this game, so I just wanted to see what other people's choices were. And even watching it multiple times, there's stuff that new that keeps popping up that you don't notice the first time you play that makes so much more sense as you go along or just like really gets beneath the surface and kind of gives a whole different meaning to what the game is about that i thought was really interesting and kind of crazy for such a small game studio to pursue let me guess you weren't satisfied with how mccoy ended the game oh, oh hell no i hate mccoy's <laughs> ending so much wait what what did you do mccoy yeah so can we get so basically <laughs> what happened was at the very end where Mitzi confronts well Mitzi and Susan confront uh, the eye of Adam and you have that sort of moment where they've been sort of building a progression like a reverse progression for the revenge port in this game where it becomes less and less satisfying and more and more ethically sort of questionable um, to the point of the end where it's like should you even be killing this guy and should they be playing military fuck yeah music while you do it um, so Mitzi, right, basically is like, no, I want to fucking do this. Like, I want to fucking kill this guy. And there's a dialogue choice that just says either you start to talk her down, but you start with the phrase, uh, 
like, oh, I didn't realize you were gonna kill him. Like, that's so crazy. Like, let's talk about this. Um, and then the other option is, you know what? Hands in the air, do what you wanna do. And so I just looked at the first option, which was talk her down. And I was like, fuck that. Susan knows she wants to kill this person. Like, that's so bullshit, I know. That's like not even like light subtext. Well, you came here to kill this fucking guy. If you wanna kill this fucking guy, let's do it. Because the way I saw it was, this was her narrative, Mitzi's narrative, that she wrote for her life, the last bit of her life. Like, she'd already explained to us that, you know, her boyfriend wanted her to do chemo or whatever, and she'd try that, and it didn't work. And that she had felt like she had no more options or whatever, and she was going to die. And she had a, a set time period, so then she wrote the last pages of her life. And the last, like, her one last task was find this fucking guy and kill him. So to me, if she wanted to end that life three months earlier than it needed to, but on the literal crescendo that she wanted to, the final page, the final line, then fair play. So I just let her do it. Yeah, that's what I did at first too. Although I felt that the reasoning behind like, so like the reason not to shoot this guy is because it will cause the room to explode um, because there's like, you know, oxygen canisters leaking or whatever. So like, it's not really a don't kill this guy. It's a please don't use a gun to do it. Um, like, I, I don't know. I feel like it would have been better if it was like, oh, okay, yeah, kill him, but just, I don't know, strangle him or something. Because it's like the, the penalty is, is almost, it's like, oh, Mitzi dies. This is a problem. It's not like, oh, Mitzi has become morally compromised. It's you lose a friend slightly earlier than you otherwise would have. I don't know. Yeah. And there there was a lot of like, him sort of trying to like add like an ethical element where he's like do it like fucking kill me which is supposed to like make you back off a little but to me it's well the title of the chapter is don't feed the troll so yeah that was the objective of the chapter was to not give in to adam's demands but like oh that's awkward but i think that's backwards in the sense that like I don't think he was in a position anymore to make demands. For instance, I thought about this a little, right? Like, could he, is he even capable of killing himself if that's what he truly wanted? And he was able to kill this dad with poison just fine. So I think he could probably <clears throat> kill himself just fine too. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we've got the gun here. You're just trying to get in our heads. Like, what? Well, we're going to listen to your demands now? You have no power. You really have no power. You're trying to pull it off like you do. And you can make your, your soliloquy before I shoot you. But you have nothing here. We have everything. You're dead. Do you not see it that way? I'm confused how you say, let's not give in to his demands when his demands were literally do it. Well, but that's, yeah, right. you did it. Right, no, exactly. But the the (laughs) thing is, he said like, oh, I want to die or whatever. And you're like, if you wanted to do that, this would be done already. You have that within your power. You don't want to die. You're fucking bullshitting me right now. Like, this this is the last statement the guy makes when his back's against the wall. Like, oh, no, I actually, I am on your side or whatever. You know, it's like they're trying to explain away some way that they can get out. But I'm like, no, you can't get out. Like, fuck that. Like, you can tell me, yes, like, you want to die and you want me to kill you or whatever, but I'm not going to listen. Like, I don't believe you that that's what you actually want. I think that's a power play. And you're done. No, I disagree. I think he was ready to go, but he wanted to take as many people as down with him. So what better way to make it seem like this whole, you know, karma type thing when he actually tries to take out as many people while he's going down as well. Yeah, it's mm. it's interesting. Like I could I could see that, especially if he thinks that Susan can die. 
like you know she's not gonna die so she doesn't care so she could like this is another day of the office for her um so like mm, that's not that's not true because before they even confront adam susan says i have one life left i've got to use it well because she had already talked to the lady in the woods and chose to blow out candles or not blow out a candle and so when she comes back to mitzi she just says i have one life left to live better make it count so technically no susan was not immortal in that scene yeah interestingly enough she just gets blown out of the room and has suffers a knee scratch but uh not that i like anticipated yeah. that um, which very much, by the way, is not how explosions work. If you're at home and wish to make explosions happen, um, that's not how they do. Also, don't don't explode things. That's a, another bit of free life advice. I thought this was going to be another That's instance. the most yeah. boring life advice I've ever heard. What the hell? Ah, you're right. Yeah, you should explode more things. There we go. Better life advice. You're not my dad, Adam. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I personally was just more concerned with the fact that Joe Davis lived below, and now, it, like, now his ceiling and his floor is blown out. So, like, geez, poor Joe Davis. His flat is destroyed. Yeah. I suspect he doesn't mind. You basically <laughs> fuck up your entire building. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I find this interesting because we were we kind of touched this when uh, when I was watching Gabe and McCoy play because um, we were trying to figure out what is the setting of this story. And you kind of like assume that it's London, London or some British city because everyone has British accents, except for Joe Davis, which is interesting. He's full blooded American. Um, but regardless, like. It makes me wonder if the apartment is just this really weird, like, non-reality-based world. Um, just because so much fucked up shit happens around that apartment, and no one seems to really care all that much. Like, literally all of the parasites that Susan encounters come to her apartment in one way or another. And so it's, it's interesting because at the beginning of the game, you know, the lady in the cabin in the woods is like, you will be my hunter. You will hunt these parasites and give them the justice that they deserve. But Susan actually doesn't do any hunting. Everyone just kind of falls into her lap. Or it, and so it's just it's a very interesting kind of thing like is this actually supposed to be a reality based world or is it this weird like otherworldly plane where just fucked up shit happens and people can either accept it as it is or not i don't know so i don't mean to maybe pull away from 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 your point there but this touches on something that i was kind of um disappointed by and annoyed by with this game's narrative um so People keep saying, oh, there's fucked up shit happening. People are being crazy all over the place. And this is kind of pretty problematic. Like, this game has a very clear mental illness equals violence parallel happening. Like, most people you meet who are mentally ill in this game, I think, like, all of them, rather, all the people who are violent in this game are, like, mentally ill or, or physically disabled in one way or another. And, like, there's a really problematic conflation there. And, like, even Susan Atworth at one point tries to strangle um, uh, Mitzi. 
because you know she's crazy and it's like depression doesn't generally make you do that um and most of these other things don't cause you to become violence uh and like there is one person who's mentally ill and not violent which is that her mom's name is sheila Oh, yes, that person. Mm. Um, I kind of get the sense that she was uh, like just an addict. Um, yeah. But, yeah. She was also on screen for all of two seconds, and so who knows. She might have drank it some blood, too, but, you know, who knows what. <laughs> it, was a lot, it was a lot more than two seconds if you tried to guess her mom's name like 18 <laughs> times. <laughs> so, but, but, yeah, did anyone, like, there's a lot of so to say like fucked up shit in this game um but like is is this game to james's point from from last week is this game just fucked up shit for the sake of having fucked up shit with no regard for uh like what this says about the world what this says about people like actual people with mental illness and and all this like did anyone notice that because it was yeah. really pretty jarring for me tell me if you think this is in line with this something that that, that i thought about a lot during this was that while this game does feature depression and does touch on it, I don't really think it is about depression at all. Like, I think it's more about psychosis and mental illness, but in a more, like, Freudian era um, style. Uh, Yes, the Freudian era of 2013. Yeah, I I don't... Well, I mean, you can always reference previous era, you know, but yeah, I mean, I don't mean, like, it was contemporarily made in the Freudian era, but I just mean, like... The style of psychology that's in place, like the the style of psychosis that they're going after and the craziness and just the way that the just the whole psych scene goes down and just like oh all of that is 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 classic psych, like historical psych. Um but you know oh, go ahead. I just need to finish your point, sorry. No, I I was I was mostly just gonna wrap up and just saying that like I think it does feature depression, right? Like just reiterating that point, but it's not really about that. It's really about like mind states that are alien to that of like i don't know normal people there's better ways to phrase that that are nicer but you know what i mean so zoe you were saying that you disagree that it's not about depression and i'd like to hear your defense of this is about being depression so that this kind of so all right so there's two questions to answer here one is is it unfair for the game to present mental illness in such a uh, in such a morbid way and possibly instill these biases on like mental illness being this like hideous creature, I guess, um, in, in so many words. But um, and then the other question is, is this game truly about depression or not? And I want to say that this world of the flat and the dream worlds and just everything every scenery in this game is actually remnants of susan ashworth's own psyche and i think it's representative of her entire psychosis the depression the happiness the um 
you know, parts she despises and parts that she is overjoyed by. I think the whole flat is representative of it, perhaps with the exception of Joe Davis and Ivy Davis. And therefore, I think all these monstrosities are actually monsters of her own depression or own mental state. So do you think that the game is like an allegory? <clears throat> yeah, in a way. And, and I always... It, go, go is ahead. it still okay then for them to paint mental illness as a violent thing? But well, if that's how she's feeling for her own mental state. I mean, she did try to end her own life with it, and perhaps mentally it is a very violent thing for her. I guess the question, right, is if you showcase an example of mental illness that played out this way, is that by necessity painting for the entirety of a mental illness? Like, I just, that seems like a, a long, broad brush for me. Like, to me, I'd love to hear a story of a particular case and it can be as fucked up or as not as it is and that will help give me a window but that i wouldn't necessarily then generalize that to ever, anything beyond what it is i think that if you paint five individual if you paint like five or like five out of six individuals in this story and then the numbers are probably wrong there sure. are violent psychopaths or whatever and this is just the only kind of mental illness that exists in this world except for that one person who had no screen time to be violent Yes. Yes, that is a problem. No, that is not talking about a specific instance that is painting anyone with a sort of mental illness um, as just like, oh, they're crazy, blue, blah, blah. They're going to hurt you because they're crazy. And that, that does a lot of real harm. I, don't I think, think, though, it was just more personal to Susan. Like, this whole journey was personal to Susan alone, and I don't think the game was trying to be like, this is how all mental illness is. This is how all depression is. It's more like... This is Susan's depression. This is Susan's mental illness. You know, I think go on a within, journey with her. But I think within that reading, I think it's it's more okay. I didn't. I I would like to hear you defend that reading a little bit more because that's not what I saw. But um, it, within that reading, I think that's a little bit better. So the whole mental illness is scary and violent. Uh, like. Its storyline is like extremely common throughout media. <clears throat> it's not, I mean, it's not just this one game. It's, but this game does buy into that trope. Um, and I definitely agree with Adam that that's not good. Uh, it's not progressive <clears throat> and moving the conversation forward to buy into it. But it's also not moving the conversation backwards because, to me, because, um, I mean, it's just like, it's such a common conceit. <clears throat> Is it um, possible this game did not have anything to say about the conversation at all? Like, I think yes. that was kind of a point I was trying to make last episode. I don't think I made it well, but it was when I, like, nearly, um, just like knee-jerk reacted to when someone said it was so brave that they picked this type of character that with this gender and this age. And I, it, it is actually a great choice. And I went on to say it was a good choice. But what I was trying to say is like, that kind of says like they're trying to make a statement about it. And I just think they don't give a fuck. They want to tell their story. And they're just sitting there closing their eyes and saying like, I don't want you to tell me what story I should or shouldn't tell. I just want to tell this story. And I think this is an awesome one. And this is a character I want to do it with. And these are the characters broader than just her that I want to do with it. Is that possible? 
Yeah. I, I mean, whether or not it moves the conversation forward or not, like whether or not, like just because other people do it doesn't make it okay. And uh, if they are not trying to participate in the conversation, the thing is that you don't actually have a choice whether or not you're participating in a particular conversation. Uh, saying things has impacts even if you don't intend those impacts. And if you are creating a world in which mental illness is basically one for one linked to violence and, and it's not even mental illness, it's also people who are like uh, injured somehow, like the eye of Adam wasn't necessarily mentally ill, um, like it, he wasn't necessarily shown as such in the same way the other ones were, but he was, oh yeah, there's a great poll quote from this game, a pathetic wheelchair bound invalid. Yeah, that's a great one, huh? Um, and this does real harm to people. And even if you're not trying to like make the game about that, you still have a responsibility to be better than that. I just, I just don't agree personally. Um, but I see where you're going and I don't think it's dishonorable or anything like that. I just see that that to me, the result of that is a severe limiting to the creative space. And I just will not accept that. I will not accept that this person cannot tell their story the way they want to tell it because some people won't like it. Like, I just, I don't see why we would do that. Like, what, what is the game? I'm not game? saying that you can't tell the story because you wouldn't like it. I'm saying you shouldn't tell the story because it hurts people. But, like, is there a way that we could not silence the story, but maybe perhaps, I don't know, warn these people and, and tell them that they shouldn't listen or something? I mean, there's got to be a way that, it's like, it's like, um, it's like swearing on television. Like, I get that you don't want to swear on television because you're afraid that kids will hear it and that's not appropriate for them, but there has to be a place where me, an adult, can hear swearing because I think that's part of life. And that's a story or a tool that I want to see if it's depicting real life. So I don't mean to say this is depicting real life, I just mean to say that like there has to be a place where people can explore more advanced narrative concepts that may or may not be harmful to certain people but they there has to be a place for them to do it maybe it's not at the forefront and it's not for everyone but a small indie game like this on steam seems like seems like a decent enough place to explore narrative concepts like this so here's my rebuttal to that uh, well first i think maybe i was unclear in how this hurts hurts people this isn't something where it's like um someone with mental illness will necessarily feel personally attacked by this. Um, they may very well, but it's really more the problem that um, neurotypical people will see this story. Neurotypical people who are not woke will see this story, and then they will conflate mental illness with danger. And then they will go out into a world with people who have serious mental illnesses, and when they see them acting out of the ordinary, they will react defensively and hurt these people. This is the kind of thing where you don't have to play this game to be injured by it. That is that is what I'm saying this game can do harm with. Well, not this game specifically necessarily, but this sort of trope that they use all over the place in horror games, like horror games and horror movies. Um, it is exceptionally common and it is bad. Um, and I don't think that necessarily that they were using it to any kind of narrative effect. This isn't some kind of advanced tool they're using. It's window dressing. Like, why? Perhaps Zoe will, will argue that this game truly is about mental illness and, and her reading, uh, within her reading, it could be seen as a technique, but you can handle these topics in a way that is responsible without 
lessening the impact to the narrative that they have. This is just poorly handled. But of course, what you're advocating for is a complete rewrite of this entire story by changing the characters. I mean, that is as damaging to the story that they're trying to tell as could possibly be. Do you think the crazy cannibal nurse was an important character? Do you think her characterization was fully fleshed out and important? I do. Yes. Yes. I do think the characters being as crazy and one-dimensional as they were, were for building the reverse uh, revenge porn ethics conversation that they try to build towards the end, where they want you to be ethically confused and not certain towards the end. They want you to go from black and white to gray when it comes to how evil these people are and why you should feel good or not good about killing them. That is that is what I think it is. And I do think the way they paint these people and the way they portray them is important for that. They're portrayed like a 13-year-old's understanding of what quote-unquote crazy looks like. Crazy isn't a condition. Crazy, so to speak, doesn't exist in the real world. This isn't... Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. This isn't a handling of mental illness. This is just, it's like, it's almost like, uh, like a racist caricature, of it, but, but with mental illness, like it's not, that's not what this uh. is kind of what James was saying, right? I, playing into the tropes that are uh, historic in our culture around this sort of stuff, like the Freudian era stuff like that, right? Like that, I see what you mean by the caricature for sure. I mean, it's a lot older than Freud, but sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think that this game is irresponsible. Like you, you can say that this is a tool that you wish people had in the narrative bucket, and like I'm not going to go and like call the government down on these people and 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 ruin their free speech or something like that. But to say that they have used this to make good art and they have leveraged this technique of having a poor rendering of mental illness, which hurts people in the real world, what? No, I'm not okay with that as like an artistic achievement. I absolutely That's am not. Not how the game is presenting itself. You have to realize this is our own interpretation of this game that we're suddenly making into the game maker's purpose. I think if the game makers in the summary of the game said that they were a paragon for depression and mental illness with this game, Sure, I feel like that would be very problematic in how they've represented it. But that's not how they presented this game. They presented it as a psychological horror of a woman who is met by five people. Like, in no way in the games... Like, the game developers did not have this intention of we are going to go out and just, like, completely accurately depict depression. Like, no, that's not how they went into this game with. They just wanted to have a psychological horror experience around a woman named Susan Nashworth. But leveraging those particular tropes in a psychological horror setting is still a problem. Like, in, so I personally believe in the in the whole death of the artist postmodernist thing where intentionality doesn't super matter. I know we kind of got into an argument about this last time, but I am generally on the side of intentionality doesn't matter. It can inform interpretations of it but in the end the work has to stand on its own um and if your work can be misinterpreted um in a way that harms people in the way i described earlier like that's something you should be cognizant of um but in addition to that um 
Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not arguing with you that it isn't problematic. I can see what what's happening. Like, I can see where the language that this game the language that this game um, introduces mental illness and handicap. I can see that it is problematic. Yes. Um, I'm just also in the camp that they just shouldn't be a game because of it. Like, if anything, I feel like some of the language just needs to be changed. Like, I do agree, like, wheelchair-bound invalid is a little bit on the nose with thinking that paralyzed people are just, like, exactly that. Yeah, and, and I don't mean to say that this game has no redeeming qualities. Um, that'll come later. Just it does have redeeming <laughs> qualities. Um, of course. But, uh, like, I think I was more responding to McCoy's argument that, that, you know, the story falls apart if you don't have this whole thing in there, and, like, it is a tool that the artist is using. I recognize that this probably is not what the artists were thinking. I'm more responding to McCoy than, than condemning the, the people who made this game. I'm also doing that, but not as harshly as it may seem. So I think that this argument is actually like super current <clears throat> in in a lot of uh, other contexts. Like just a year, two years ago. Um, I mean, more for the past. Okay, for the past like five or more years, we've had a a long discussion about what is acceptable in comedy. And. Absolutely. Um, and, and like particularly, and this is somewhat related to this game, rape jokes. It's like, are you allowed to make rape jokes? Like what is, what's going on with that? And a lot of people fall on the don't censor <clears throat> comics. Don't make them like, you know, change their jokes because you know, they're discussing something horrible, but the, I mean, and so the other side to that, that I see is comics need to be aware of comedians need to be aware of their impact. Um, and they should not tell jokes if the impact of said joke is harmful. Um, and if that, you know, restricts their creative freedom, then so be it, right? Because it's it's better to not tell a joke than to tell a joke that hurts people. <clears throat> um, I think the problem that we might be dealing with when it comes specifically to that exact case is that when things scale to the level that they have with technology as they have in the past 10 years or so, um, the amount of diversity of response to anything is staggering for instance oh yeah for um sure. if you look at comments for any piece of creative media that you like or don't like you'll notice that many people hated it and many people loved it and so when you tell a joke in the modern day it's dangerous because you're telling it to so such a massive scale of people that the chance that it hurts people because they were somehow referenced in the joke, they were in a joke in a way that felt like the butt of the joke, um, is it's extremely easy to do that. And in fact, it's almost inevitable. Now there, of course, right, are varying degrees of like how offensive it was or wasn't. But the problem is 
Yeah, you you can hurt like most jokes are hurting someone. They're pointed at someone. Not all of them, right? But I'm just saying that like that is a very common style of joke. And if you tell it to millions and millions of people, or millions and millions of millions of people after someone recorded it on their phone, even though you told it in a room full of thirty people and they all laughed, um, that's just like that's an impossible thing to to deal with. Like you can't, you you can't. You I cannot. disagree on a certain level. <clears throat> um, just so of course context is important, but there are jokes. And then there are jokes in a certain sense. Um, when, I mean, to bring it back to this game, I, I agree with what you said about, um, about this, uh, you know, like telling the story in this way serves a purpose. And the, the people creating this j- game should be able to tell the story that they want to tell. I disagree in, in the sense that maybe right now is not the right time to tell that story because of where we are as a society and what the way that we treat people with mental illness and um, physical deformities that we need to get past the way that we interact with these things before it's okay to use them as a trope. Uh, in this way. Um. I, w- I would also like to uh, respond a little bit to McCoy's argument there um, about how you know any joke you tell is going to hurt someone. And I think that this is, uh, in a certain sense, missing the point. Like, yes, this is true that, that if you tell, a jo- tell this exact same joke um, to every person on the planet, let's ignore that language exists for a minute, um, you tell a fairly innocent joke about a houseplant, and there are going to be a couple people out there who are deathly afraid of houseplants for one reason or another. Um, this is on a completely different scale from rape jokes, which, like, a lot of people have encountered that, and this will cause panic attacks in large sections of the population. Like, that is a defensive scale. Um, it's like, to say... Well, you know, you just because you can tell a joke and it'll hurt. If you tell a joke to everyone, it'll hurt someone. Yes, technically true. Not what we're talking about. But don't you think um, that people who aren't affected by that, that like these sorts of jokes, have a right to hear that? Like, is there a way with which we could protect the people who don't want to hear it and give the people who do want to hear it the joke? Like, I don't see why we would deprive everyone of something funny for some because others can't handle it. That's a... Let's you know bend to the to the will of the lowest common denominator, which seems like everyone loses. Like I don't see I mean, why that is the content solution. warnings. Try that. Con- content warnings are a good approach, right? Um, or at least the one we have right now. But we're not giving comedians the chance to have content warnings. We're taking them down. Do you see what I mean? That's the difference. They don't give content warnings. But like, especially when these videos are shared on social media, the person who's sharing them is a not the comedian, by the way, and like B, like that person already has the video. They know the content. Like before these things hit distribution channels that are so massive, they could easily be content gated, but they're not. They're used as inflammatory points to take a person down. 
So I think this is a tangential thing that I want to bring up before it is lost. Um, but the difference between free speech and and like, like I think McCoy, you're coming at this from the angle of freedom of expression, which is important in certain ways. But freedom of expression does not protect you from the consequences of that expression. Um, so you know if if you tell a joke that harms people and then people say don't do that that's bad stop we don't like you anymore and you're kind of not allowed to say oh no my free speech is being silenced what about my freedom of expression golly gosh gosh goodness oh my like it's their freedom of expression to tell you to shut the fuck up oh absolutely um, i just want to add to that though that this is not the case that we are dealing with now it is not that we are telling these people who are telling these jokes we don't like we don't like them and we won't pay with our dollar we are instead saying you must stop as opposed to saying we will no longer visit your shows because we don't agree with what you're saying. We're saying you must stop now. That is an entirely different scenario. But the, but the, the reaction being problematic doesn't justify the problematic content. Can you explain that more? So the fact that we're potentially overreacting doesn't justify the thing that is being reacted to. <clears throat> um, like both sides can be wrong to certain degrees. Right. Like, so, so the content of the joke the, in general, some of it is just general overreaction, but it, uh, uh, the content of, of a comedian's set might, legitimately be making fun of people with autism, let's say. And that, you know, they might get a laugh, you know, in a comedy club. Because you go to a comedy club, you expect to, you know, hear problematic jokes. Because <laughs> that's what most <laughs> things are in, in a comedy club. But that doesn't justify the comedian saying that joke, it, it, it's still not okay. Even if the, co the context kind of makes an exception for it. And this also ties a little bit back to my earlier point about how a problematic joke is not necessarily only going to harm people at the point at which it is told. Um, like, you know, this game isn't harming the only or well, Rather, things that conflate mental illness and violence don't harm only the people who consume it. It harms society as a whole because then people who consume it uh, may react badly to people who are having, you know, a otherwise fairly benign breakdown or something like that. So, yes, saying you must stop is a reasonable reaction to, uh, for instance, someone who is the uh i'm about to godwin's law this um no i'm not gonna go down that route uh do you know what i'm trying to get at though like yeah no i i do i just wonder if you're not giving too much value to the person who is offended as currency like i i sort of feel like they're the only people that are being heard of the problem sorry I, i'm not saying that people are being offended i'm saying people are being directly harmed as a result of people who like so there is a person out there who who has not played this game or played or watched Saw or, or whatever the other kinds of things out there that are uh, problematic in this particular way. 
Um, they have not seen any of these things and thus have not been directly harmed by them, except the world around them is somewhat more hostile to them because their particular quirks uh, come off as violent to all the people who have seen those things. They are not offended, they are injured. Is it possible that this is more of a problem with how people are treating other people rather than the media there like it's, it sounds like these people absolutely. are absolutely ultimately yes but like well let's not stop the media let's treat people to be decent to each other i i, I don't see it but it's it's one i mean it's it, they go hand in hand though in a certain sense <clears throat> and and uh i i wanted to say one thing before it's it's not the people who are offended by media that are the problem it's the people who ingest the media and then take that as confirmation that whatever the thing is that they listen to is acceptable. Right. And then go and, and, uh, execute that behavior or whatever. Right. Continue. Understand. Right. 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 The offense, I mean, the offense is not the end. It's not the problem <clears throat> that needs to be fixed. It's the behavior. Yeah, and this is how I, I can see clearly how you guys both connect essentially any, any individual action in an even remotely public way as a contribution to the discussion because you feel like you're slowly but surely like essentially mind controlling people into thinking that I don't know that's like a way way too charged word but you know what I mean you're convincing people subtly you're normalizing it say it again yeah normalizing, normalizing yes it. okay yes yes there's a better word um, and I see that it just to me. Like, and I don't even think that's an illogical connection, but, and I think it probably does exist and probably is there, but I just see such an erosion of creativity and, and a, and a result of how, like how, where do you define what's okay and what's not okay. And we're rapidly redefining this over the last 10 years. And we're just burning people alive that have older styles of humor that is, are still successful. And th wouldn't it be nice if they could go off into their corner and tell those jokes to the people that like them? And I don't just mean like, it's like rape jokes are so tough because th that is just such a horrible thing, right? But that's okay. Like, I feel like that's a horrible thing, but there are certain things that I feel like are not nearly as horrible that are also under attack. And I just wonder like, what, like, what are we doing here? I've always seen comedians as like the last form of defense because they're mocking a culture. They're making jokes to sort of, in a way, can I make you think about an issue? I mean, not all of them are doing this, but certainly some of them are making jokes in order to make you think about a particular way in a, in a version of thought that you never thought about, in a lens you've never thought about. So they, they make a weird joke that seems somewhat backwards, and then you start to think, well, that is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Um, and when the second we start restricting what those people can say, like, I feel like that's just, that's like the opposite of like everything that I feel like we've built in this in this country I feel, like, well, I feel like that's everything like that at least for me when i was growing up that's what comedians were doing is they were out there trying to propagate certain ideas that were edgy they were trying to be on the edge to in some senses to bring us forward and to, to pull them back is such a dangerous act to me i think you're using a little bit of a slippery slope slope argument here you're saying that once we tell comedians that certain jokes are inappropriate um, we are going to find that all jokes are somehow inappropriate. And that isn't true. There are delineations here where, for instance, if you're targeting marginalized groups, that's not great. You're not making people think about the marginalized groups. You are not like attacking some kind of, uh, you aren't being a humorist. A humorist is a, is a comedian who makes their jokes with, with kind of um, like 
the, the world at large in mind. So like John Stewart, I think would be categorized as a humorist, um, like that kind of comedy. And John Stewart is, is a little bit of a problematic fave in a number of ways, but, um, just looking at say the daily show in very broad strokes, right. That points out the absurdity of, of American policy and, and what's going on in the world today. Um, and it is using humor in a good way. Um, but there are also really bad ways to use humor, like rape jokes. You aren't really like pulling attention to something. You were just harming marginalized groups. Well, and so like there's a line there and we can be reasonable and not cross that line and censor all comics. I mean, it does depend on, on how you go about making a joke. Um, but I mean, I think we kind of always censor ourselves and and society censors itself and that's just we're just doing that writ large right now um yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's a weird thing that's happening i just think that we are in the process of a massive social upheaval um and that's ultimately a good thing in my opinion um and it when it kind of evens out we'll be in a much better place than we were before and then we can get back to business as kind of new usual but the question to me is just that like just my opinion no and i i see what you're saying and i i think that 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 is in fact happening but i i wonder i think what's alarming to me about how it's happening is the rate with which it's happening the acceleration of it in the past 10 years has been something that it's just so, I mean, even five years, even two years, it's been just like almost nearly exponential um, in the what, where is the line conversation that's happening constantly. And it is moving. And it is funny to me because the concept of a slippery slope is a logical fallacy, right? And people always bring that up and they say, well, that's not actually true. Of course, if you look over the past 10 years, all you have seen is that line get pushed out and out and out and out in a real, actual, tangible way. We are including more and more and more and more categories underneath this umbrella of things we can't talk about. That is, in fact, happening, and it I don't see any reason why it would stop. Um, so, okay, tell me, which one of those categories that you've seen is something that you wish we still had? That we wish Like, we- in a genuine way, like something that you think is not problematic, that has been, uh, you know, sacrificed on this altar of social progression. So, I think of always Dave Chappelle. I think of him as being one of the first comedians to start the race conversation in a healthy way. And yes, he was making caricatures of everyone, but they weren't necessarily evil or sinister. They were just humorous and they were trying to occasionally point out real tendencies. Like, did you notice that like, like when I get pulled over, it's not the same as when my white friend gets pulled over. Don't you think that's a little ridiculous? And that's like the whole premise of his joke is just trying to show like, this is a little unfair, don't you think? Um, And these sorts of narratives about protected categories, including race and others, don't have to be evil and mean. And yet, we have decided essentially you don't make jokes about these categories at all, period. They are off limits. That's not the same as off limits, but if you're tasteful, it's fine. It's a complete uh, cross off in the modern discourse. And that's what alarms me. It's not that I'm saying that like, I really wish we could go make fun of people for their race again. It's not that at all. But it's that we've gotten rid of all the subtlety and all of the spots where comedians could come in and make something beautiful. And they could speak to things that are real and true. 
that they see in their life and that happen like you know for instance like in the school system right now there is just tons and tons of data about different communities and how they act differently and they're trying and they don't have the answer they don't say it's because of race they don't there's a million factors there's all sorts of things in terms of like how much money they have you know it's like all like what access to education they have what was the family lineage there's all sorts of answers but the result that they're seeing is people from these communities are acting differently and if we don't respect that notice it talk about it in a real way and deal with it if we pretend that it's not happening then we are blinding ourselves and i think in the in the discourse that's happening right now we are opting to blind ourselves to not talk about any of these things to just put them all away and that is so dangerous to me like there is a conversation there is subtlety and there is progress to be had if these things weren't so taboo if i wasn't so afraid to literally say anything ever even if it has plenty of honesty and evidence and all sorts of things i've got to say like you know you want to you want to say hey guys i'm noticing this trend is that real but you literally can't even say that that's too far like you can't even I, use go sorry go ahead i disagree as do i i disagree i think that um so i think that those categories are more in the public realm now than they ever were before as available to discuss um so I think we should probably bring this back to the cat lady, um, <laughs> because that is technically what we're supposed to be talking about. And we can do this in a nice and clean segue. So, McCoy, um, you've made the argument that you think that the way this game talks about mental illness is um, good and valid. Is that what you're saying? Or have I put words into your mouth? I think that's not ridiculous. I, I it's, it's, it's just that, like... I guess when I look at this game, the conversation of whether it's good and valid doesn't come up. I'm too busy trying to figure out what the story is and who the characters are and where it's going. I'm not trying to think about how this is affecting the culture. Like, I don't even go there. I'm too busy trying to appreciate the art. I'm actually... So that, I'm going to side with oh, McCoy here. Um, this is going to sound like gatekeeping, and I don't, I don't mean to at all. Uh, and it, personal experiences changed, obviously, in on an individual basis. Um, but as someone who myself has been clinically, um, diagnosed, diagnosed. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, diagnosed with depression. I don't feel like this game really pushes on that. Um, and I don't really see this game as pushing a negative, uh, agenda around that or a view or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think this game is just a fully artistic piece where their character just happens to deal with this thing. But I don't think their story necessarily has to revolve around character having depression and painting it in this light. I think it's just kind of a, a thing that their character has. Um, yeah. You ever try to strangle someone with a power cable? I have not. I can't say that I have. Huh, interesting. Wow, that was a really problematic thing to ask, Adam. 
<laughs> I'm triggered, right. man. I'm awesome. sorry. I'm a little triggered. Um, <laughs> so I also want to ask, uh, Zoe, you, you touched on this a little bit, um, and I'm sorry if I'm changing topics pretty rapidly here, but there were a lot of pins in the board to come back to. Um, so Zoe, you said that, that you've seen this story a number of times now, and um, each time you go back and look at it, you see a little bit more. Maybe you could explain this story for me, because I kind of don't get it. Yeah, so, and, and to be honest, I don't have all the answers. This is honestly just stuff created from observations that I've personally seen with the game. And I personally also think that it has some significance to how the story plays out. Um, the thing is, I feel like there's a lot of... Uh, I feel like there's a lot of um, taking the story at face value of, like, this is a story about depression. Um, but I just kind of think, yeah, I think it's more of a story just about this, like, psychosis of Susan Ashworth and just the demons inside of her that she is trying to conquer. And I kind of touched on it with thinking that the apartment represents parts of her psychosis um like i a lot of the apartment contains some sort of dislike or fear for her like there's the woman with the baby who she's afraid of babies there's a woman with a dog susan hates dogs there is the Joe and Ivy Davis is the one that I said was the exception, and I can kind of go into why I think they are the exception for this. Um, Please do. You know, there's the... Well, uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a whole tangent. Oh, okay. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I, I also want to talk more about them, but we'll, we'll put a bit on um, that and come back to it later. The, the only one that I can't quite make a connection on either is um, Jesse. With the video games, I almost think that was just kind of a tongue-in-cheek, like, haha, he's clearly a video game nerd, like you, playing this game right now. Um, but, like I said, all the parasites come to her within that apartment, and I think that all of the parasites are aspects of her depression, and hand how Susan handles these parasites kind of molds her character development throughout the game, at least in my playthrough. Because in the first couple parasites, Susan lashes out in anger. She has some death-defying blow with some, you know, snarky line. But she lashes out in anger to take care of those parasites. And it doesn't necessarily make her better. And we know that because you have the apartment scene later showing that she still gets really panicky and she still has mental breakdowns. And then you have the suitor who is taken care of by her cats, so that's kind of like the aid of friends approach. And then finally, in my playthrough, I chose to walk away from the Eye of Adam and therefore being the bigger person. And I actually think that was a great development for how Susan has decided to face face the demons within her she lashes out in anger she doesn't feel better but with the help of friends and also with a little bit of character development on her part to pick herself up and be the better person and also just kind of be this more confident individual in herself 
and in her own strengths and abilities, um, you know, she is able to at least conquer somewhat aspects of the demons inside her. And even at the end, Susan says, like, she still has bad days. And that's very true with depression and mental illness. You're not going to just be suddenly cured. Mm. But at least um, Susan has a better way of handling these feelings inside of her. So quick question about the Eye of Adam and that kind of story arc culmination. You have a lot of choices around that, right? I, mm-hmm. I didn't go through this path, um, but I believe you can let Mitzi die and then kill him yourself anyways. And then do you still get the, because I know if you let Mitzi just kill him, you still get the cutscene where it's like, yeah, it's mostly better now. I still have bad days, but things are a lot better. So like the lashing out in anger, because you have a choice to continue to do that and then things are still fine, that kind of diffuses that a little bit for me. How do you feel about that? No, I I do agree. And I think that's one of my big complaints about the game because I honestly felt after having walked away and I ended up getting the golden ending of the playthrough where Susan and Mitzi live together happily ever after Mitzi conquers her cancer miraculously. And Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> Hold on, that doesn't happen, does it? How do you yeah. do that? Uh, well, so it happened because um, the only way that you can actually get it is if you don't have Susan panic in her apartment scene and oh. refuse to blow out a candle. I only got, because I was curious, you know, and I said last week I was curious how you could actually not get her to panic, so I actually, you know, went back to my save file and played that scene where she didn't panic just to see what the outcome of that was and since that was the thing i stuck with and i chose i refused to blow out the candle um that allowed mitzi to live that is Um, utterly bizarre i guess that that sort of sort of leads lends some credence to your to your interpretation there and that whether or not you panic that one time before you even meet mitzi changes her capability to deal with cancer so I really like that reading, but it makes me think that, you know how like people always say, like, show, don't tell? I feel like I could have used some more telling if that was the actual <laughs> story of this game. <clears throat> yeah, I very much did not get that reading, um, personally. But I like it. might it. also... Yeah, I agree. Um, although there's also this one kind of nitpick that I have... Um, like it's unclear what is intention, like what is part of the story and what is not. Like there was one tiny thing that I noticed uh, that kind of brought this to mind. Um, you get a note on your door that says, uh, like from the Eye of Adam, right before the final chapter. That's like, meet me here, the door will be open, and everything. Like you know, whatever. Um, and you read this, you open the door, both characters walk in, the door closes, and then the note is gone. And I was like, okay, so if this was intentional, if this was like a thing that they did um, by choice, it is telling me something about the world and its state of of reality. Um, But because the game is kind of janky and there are situations where like, you know, I go out and I try to smoke a cigarette on the balcony and says not here and I come back and do it later and it's like, cool, you get to do that now. Um, It like makes me question whether it was intentional or not. So... No, I because, think that's very nitpicky. I honestly think they just had assets of a door shutting, and the door shutting did not have a note on it, and so they were like, we're going to use this animation. Right, and what I'm saying is is that you can't be, like, 
super tricky, like four dimensional chess levels of deep. If, if you're not going to put in the work to make it hyper consistent, um, because everything that happens in the game, whether it was intentional or not is canon. I guess, what do you mean by can't, I mean, you think it just doesn't work, I guess what we're trying to say, cause like they certainly so did it. Can canonicity is, um, just what is a fact about the game world. And like, so word of God is something that is not canon. So a classic example, Dumbledore is not canonically gay necessarily. He is not canonically anything because JK Rowling makes no mention of it whatsoever in the books. Right. Okay. She later tweeted, Hey, by the way, Dumbledore is gay. Um, this does not change the canonicity of um, whether Dumbledore is or is not. Um, if you wish to make a canon argument for something like that, you have to look at the text. Um, so unintentional things, as we, as I also suspect this door closing note thing, because it's so inconsequential, right? Um, I suspect that it, that was just an art asset thing, but it is canon that that note disappeared. Um, yeah, and someone could probably use that to have some kind of, uh, you know, argument that the apartment is a metaphor or something like that. That could be text that one pulls on. It is canon. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess I just, yeah, I guess I just don't see. I feel like this is just honestly like a artsy movie versus not artsy movie debate where it's like, I just am so much more comfortable in a world that there's a lot of. Uh, stuff left up into interpretation and throughout the story you're trying to figure out if there is deeper meaning or if there is different meaning meaning or just like where, where it's going so like when zoe comes here and says like well actually i think this is somewhat all in her head like i think that's rad like i love like i don't think it needs to be so beat you over the head explicit about it um and i i came to that conclusion for my own interpretation because the ending of the game is simply that Susan has decided she's going to live on in whatever state she decides to live on with or without Mitzi, with or without regret of how she handled the Eye of Adam. Like, regardless, I think no matter the ending, Susan just chooses to live on. Um, and so when I w was looking at the ending of that game and I'm like, wow, this is like a really like interesting, you know, this is a very interesting ending to the game. Why the parasites? Like, why did this game start off with you being this hunter for parasites, but in the end, it's almost like the parasite mission itself is just kind of brushed aside. Even I thought the exchange with Eye of Adam was a little bit anticlimactic, but almost I think that's the point with how Susan like I think she does, handles her inner de demons. But, um, and, and, and so yeah, that's why, that's why I came to that conclusion, just because I wasn't seeing an immediate connection between the parasites and this immediate conclusion to Susan's story. Um, and I agree with you, James, like I almost wish in a way that there was some way that the story could do a little bit more telling than uh, than showing. Um, but then again, I think because there are these multiple interpretations of everything like that makes this game pretty beautiful. Um, 
And like I said, like there's so much more to the story that you see with multiple playthroughs. Like, I don't know, Adam, if you saw, but the spider came back. So your uh, your spider heart wasn't in vain. Well, uh, <laughs> a different spider exists kind of in the dream world, but... With its chest yeah, ripped without a heart, open. Right? Yeah. Oh, I, the visuals are a little bit hard to see in this game. I just right. noticed it, the squirmy thing back there. Which I, I try and stab it back over trying. and over again, but you have to stab it in the face. <laughs> Did anyone else do that? I have, n- <laughs> I have more yeah. nitpicks about okay. that. Okay. I've had, there were a couple what of places a frustrating have to mechanic to me. But, like, I don't know. I, I actually want to talk about that dream world. Like, nitpicky mechanics aside, I actually thought that whole dream world was one of the more beautiful depictions of depression that I have seen a game attempt to do. Um, And I say that because um, you, you, so you're in this dream world, there are four places that you can go. Um, One of them is this weird mausoleum skull cavern type representation of your living room which playing through it a second time i realized they're all baby skulls which makes sense because your own infant died so like that room is very representative of like the one thing that really pushed susan like changed susan's life forever pushed her over the edge the whole creation of this sadness in her life or at least the catalyst for this sadness in her life. Next, you go in a room with uh, a representation of yourself, and you eventually have to lead yourself through a series of puzzles to this buzzsaw, which you then just hack yourself to pieces to get this machine up and running. And then um, you reach this elevator that you've powered up. You realize you need two people to get on the elevator in order to be submerged down into the ocean where you're hoping it's somehow a way out, which submerging yourself as a way out, interesting take on that, but maybe there's a point to it. But honestly, the part I found the most beautiful is that to get the two-person capacity, you have to stab this spider in this one room with a shadow of your former self. And actually, like, I looked this up, spiders represent spiders are an actual symbol of a shadow of yourself or at least a dark aspect of your personality but you have to stab it to have the shadow of yourself break out break free and then you just see this very stark contrast between who you were before and who you are now you know you are before susan's paler she's kind of just in this narcotic dream she looks miserable and then you have your Susan of today, which is, you know, she has a little bit more pep in her step a little bit. She has a little more color to her palette. um, And she is walking more confidently than the shadow of her former self. And I like that idea of you have to accept who you were in the past in order to move forward. That was absolutely beautiful to me. And like really made me at that point, love where this game was taking me. Just because of how much detail there seemingly was uh, in this game. Like, in that scene itself. 
Interesting. I didn't catch any of that. I mean, I did see that. I, I did see that. You know, the version of you that you pull out of the mirror or whatever um, was the version of, of you that was in the hospital. Right. I think as far as I didn't notice. Did, did they actually change like Susan's color palette or like her animations throughout the game? I know there's the staggering walk that uh, drugged Susan and uh, Cannibal Nurse both use, um, but. I didn't see any other like s- slow differences from one one chapter to the next or anything along those lines. Well, and I think there was it wasn't supposed to be all that noticeable, but I think just having that stark contrast side by side um was really great. Like I do think they I I swear I feel like they did slightly change her sprite a little bit. I mean, she's definitely not the sprite that you use in the fields of barley. Like that version of Susan almost looks very like crone-like and like older. Yeah. And like her apartment self definitely looks younger per se. It's like after you but... take the shower, maybe is it one of the big sprite changes? I feel like. <laughs> yeah, maybe just maybe a little bit of self hygiene, <laughs> some self care. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. There's a, actually like a decent amount of character development that happens sort of subtly. Like she, maybe you guys talked about this a little bit, but when she just sort of generally has a better, like more hope for the scenario, like when she's tied in the bathtub with Mitzi, she's sort of like, no, we're going to get out of this. We're going to fucking kill this guy. Like, don't, don't worry. Like, essentially I've been through this. Like I've conquered these, these hills before. Like I have more faith in myself. So I feel like her character like holds that in many different ways. I don't know if you guys noticed that or thought similar, but I feel like she she gains confidence throughout this. I definitely noticed that too. It seemed like as the game progressed, she did gain more confidence and more kind of like a almost fuck it kind of attitude. Yeah. Immortality is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. eh? Sometimes it was a little too on the nose. Like, the game's not without its cringy dialogue. Like, when Susan moves over a cabinet and Mitzi's like, well, Mrs. Ashworth, you're stronger than you look. And Susan's like, maybe I am stronger than I look. And I'm like, okay, we didn't need to say that. Like, show yeah. don't All tell. Right, like, this is too much telling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I also enjoyed in that scene, now this is again a little nitpick, but I found it very funny. Um, about 20 seconds previously, you're like, oh no, this coffee table's too heavy for me to move. And then like, a, you know, 20 seconds later, it's like, Miss Ashworth, that cabinet's too heavy. And it's like, no, it isn't. And you just like catapult it across the room. You're just yeeting it over there. I mean, not true. But <laughs> the it's plot like... weighed heavily on her. <laughs> <laughs> Is this like plot armor? Yeah. Plot muscles. <clears throat> or lack thereof. No, yeah. So, James, I'm just um, curious. You had said that. Yeah. Oh, sort of as a counterpoint, you had said sort of like you thought the writing sort of fell apart in the second half. Do you have any examples of things you thought like, ah, oh, that was just so cringy or, or, or eye rolled or anything like that? I just felt like you were doing a lot of stuff just kind of for no reason. And it it wore on me. Like the whole searching the apartment thing or? I mean, yeah, like and like kind of just ruining people's lives and then it's like oh no they're not they're not the one oh like so you're talking (laughs) about like letting the woman's dog loose because you just happen to hate dogs right and And, that woman's day has been ruined yeah and it's like (laughs) 
it's like maybe the dog gets hit by a car, but oh, you were geez. able to search her apartment, you know, and find out that she's not the person you're looking for. It's like thank goodness. Whatever and the Mitzi's cost, not going to show up. Right. And Mitzi's right. not going to show up. I guess my mind didn't really turn towards the dog getting hit by a car later down the road. I mean, mine didn't either until just now. But, like, that <laughs> that whole scene, I was like, can we just not, like, ransack this entire apartment <laughs> building? Fair enough. Fair enough. I also, like, there was one puzzle that was like, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We're too socially awkward. It's like, no, we can't just talk to this oh, lady. Yeah, we know. can't. We need a reason. So we're going to steal her mail. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. But then there were other things that I was just like, oh, come on. Like, when you have to break into the guy's van, um, oh, like, smash a window when you've already gotten in the back of the car. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. And... And you have a knife, <laughs> which you could just use the handle to smash the window, but you can't do that. You have to use the knife over on the other side of the screen to, like, dig a loose brick out of the ground, and, and then you can use that, the loose brick to smash the window. That was another part that I was frustrated by. Like, this came up a couple times when I was playing um, for the second half, where you do have to pixel hunt. So, like, I walked over to where the brick was, and it's, like, you can examine the loose brick. It, it gives you a little prompt telling you that there's a brick there. And if you try to use the knife there, if you're not standing in the right place, she'll just say, this is a terrible weapon. <laughs> so, like, you, you, you have to, like, inch over a little bit. And so, I, like, I at first just happened to be standing badly. And I was like, well, I guess I need, like, a fucking crowbar or something. And I, like, left. And then, because at this point, I was just reading a walkthrough because kind of fuck the puzzles in this game um i was like oh i guess you do just do that and i missed somehow and like this happened to me a couple of times throughout the game where it was just like it's like a big fuck you to the player when the puzzles are as, as inane as they are and they are um like they could have at least had like yeah if you have the interactable this means you are sitting in the right place that wouldn't have been terrifically difficult to to implement Wait, so you're saying you had the interactable icon and you still couldn't do it Yes. Oh my and this God. happened to me twice. Yeah, there were there were there were two or three places that something like that happened. One of them was trying to knife the spider. Okay. McCoy and I. In, in, in <laughs> oh yes, because that was about the mirror, right? About yeah. Yeah. McCoy tried to use the shard of yeah. glass on the woman, the dog lady. The <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where you're taking this. Let's go. I'm with you. <laughs> and the Can game, I stab it yet? <laughs> the game just crashed. Oh yeah. What? Yes. No, no, no. What oh happened was I tried to use the glass shard on the dog lady. It pulls me into an animation to open the uh, like closet behind her to push it aside for where you can go underground, and then crashes. And later, I tried to replicate this, and it was like, no, you can't do that. And so I had actually found some weird state where the game just, like, did something that it wasn't supposed to do and just died. It was awesome. Oh, my God. I will say, though, uh, one thing that I, I think sort of to Adam's point that a little jank is that there were a couple of spots, and I'm pretty sure this is what happened. I don't recall perfectly, but it's, like, where you would interact with something, so you would talk to it or something like that, and then it would place you afterwards outside of the interaction dialogue space so you uh, couldn't use yeah. the item yes. so yep. the human reaction is you walk up 
I'm supposed to use the item in my inventory, but I accidentally talked to you because I thought maybe there'd be a new dialogue option or I just misclicked. And now I'm like, okay, but the right thing to do now is use the inventory item. And then I do. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dog. You're nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole, the whole dual lever thing. Oh, that was hardcore. That was APM right there. That's like Starcraft level APM in order to make that puzzle work in a way that is actually <laughs> paced nicely. Yeah. With this puzzle, for our for our dear listeners, all three of them, um, with this puzzle, you have two levers, and in order to use them, you have to first insert them into the slot, and then operate the machinery, and then remove the lever, and walk to the next one, and but, insert it into the slot. And you're jumping back and forth between interacting and using items in your inventory. Right. It's but every time, every time you interact or insert, you walk just too far away <laughs> to just hit one button. <laughs> Yeah, it was glorious. Um, this is definitely so, not a game you speed run. That's for sure. If someone has, I <laughs> yeah, bet. Look it up. Let's look up that. the Cat Lady speedruns. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Dude, speedruns of games that have like ethical choices are always like the most uncomfortable to watch because they're always like, yeah, I know this is the main character, but you shoot him in the face 18 times because it's three and a half <laughs> seconds faster. <laughs> so you can cut all their dialogue. And so that's the right move. And you're like, what? But she was so innocent to you. You're like, no, no, no. Yeah, you do that to all her family too because they all try to talk to you on the way out. You're like, what? Like, <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, my, my favorite speedrun tidbit is in, in Half-Life, you can like skip a whole segment of the game if you like bully a scientist over to a door because the door will open for him but not for you and then you kill him and prop the door open with his body <laughs> yes, yes. so you can get in there and slam a button <laughs> yeah um yeah i found it by the way the cat lady any percent speed run time one hour 45 minutes 57 oh, that's, seconds that's atrocious one segment by big man japan so what oh, you're damn. telling me is that we should have been able to complete this in one week yes, yes. <laughs> we should have speed run this game well, you can mash the space bar. I did once. Uh, yeah, we learned that. No, but this was a great learning for me to have had um, because I did crash the game by trying to knife the dog lady with the um, like flash guard. And it was like a non-trivial amount of distance from where I had last saved. And just Zoe and Gabe were like, oh my fucking God. And I'm sitting there. You, you had just talked to the old man before that with the whole like, I beg your pardon? Or like all of the like dialogue that is essentially the same answer and so we were like we have to sit through that again like no and then all you hear was me being like talking to the old man and then just in the background just <laughs> <laughs> and it worked that was also me during that conversation <laughs> i beg your pardon I actually thought some of his dialogue was, was kind of good, though, when he was talking about how he just, like, feels like he lives in a completely different world than everyone else because he's so much older than them. It's like all the things that he's accepted is no longer true. Um, oh, so that's her anxiety about getting older. Oh, damn. But this is how... This is a fun exercise. What you were doing right there is a fun exercise to interpret games like this. Like, even if it wasn't necessarily literally true or if maybe it does or doesn't check out, like, that is a beautiful way to think about it. And probably, yes, to some degree. Yeah, like it's it's. I'm sure you guys remember in college when when people would challenge me by presenting me with weird pieces of modern art, and I would somehow connect it to capitalism, <laughs> and explain how a a uh, what was one that that Anna gave me? It was like a a like a giant sea painted kind of golden, um, like an amphitheater almost, but it was just a solid block that there's that, that her school had, um, and it was like, what is this art? And I was like, well, you'll see. And I pulled together some nonsense about how it's about this or that or the other thing. Um, and sometimes it actually just isn't. 
by the way, like that one images poem about the red wheelbarrow. Literally not about anything. Nope, it's literally just three white chickens next to the red wheelbarrow. Okay, here's a question, guys. That you are probably <laughs> keeping for breakfast. <laughs> the, the plums! <laughs> Sorry, McCoy, go on. I was just going to say, like, something I noticed this half was... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Outside of the fact that somehow, without having played this game, Zoe picked the perfect halfway point where it was like... The start of that next chapter was like the start of a new day and all that other stuff. Um, and it was just like, wow, this is so fitting. But outside of that, I personally like was way, way more like in tune with the game and what it wanted out of me for the puzzles on the second half. Like I found them to be much, much simpler, much more straightforward and much easier. Like I kind of just got it at that point. Did anyone else feel like they were sort of breezing through them faster or they still had like moments of like, oh, I'm so fucking lost. Give me half an hour. I was zipping right through because I was using the walk. Right, of course. Fuck this game. I don't I, like the only thing that I found finicky was just stabbing the spider and having to be in the exact spot for it. Because as much like you guys did, I was trying to stab it from behind, and even I tried to stab it in front of it, but I was apparently too far away. So then I had to get a little bit closer. So like that was a little finicky for me, but otherwise I felt like. The rest of the puzzles were fairly straightforward, but that's also just because my technique was literally just interact everything you have with everything you see, and eventually something will fit together. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it. Like there, there is like some ways that you can go quicker through the puzzles if you can recall what you've seen before. Once you've like obtained a new item like for instance um when you're searching the apartments and usually the first one you go into is the empty flat on floor one and you see a cat there's like a hole in the ceiling and there's a cat on the ledge and you need something to knock it down cat statue yeah it's a cat statue yeah not (laughs) an actual cat yeah Yeah, yeah there's um and like so you know it's just one of those things where if you can recall what you've seen, because much later down the row, like you get a broom. And so then you have to be like, oh, I now have a longer instrument to knock the cat statue off of the ledge. But you have to kind of make those connections um, of what you've seen before based off of the items you will eventually get. Yeah, like some of the puzzles, and even in the first half, some of the puzzles were like reasonable and and followed. But it's just like you don't need a ton of puzzles that super do not follow or like give you bad information. Like um, the other instance where I ended up pixel hunting was uh, using the crank on the like you have to seal someone's bicycle crank at like the the pedals, yeah, and use that to open up that that chute. And uh, I could interact with the chute, but if I tried to use the pedals, it was like. What? What do I do with this? And it's like, fortunately, that was so sensible that I just moved closer and did it, and it worked. Um, but like, I might have just not and been like, well, this is very strange, and like wandered off somewhere and never found that answer. Couldn't you have just used the wrench on the like the thing that you used to get the bicycle pedal off? Couldn't impossible. You, just... you can't do that. Just like you can't read someone's file and figure out who their parents are. It's impossible cannot be done <laughs> yeah they definitely do like and i think that affects the story by the way too because like you know she's kind of frames the bike 
uh, stuff as like, I'm going to fuck with this guy because he fucked with me. And I was like, well, no, no, no. For my playthrough, you're not going to fuck with this guy. You're a little bigger than that. And then I'm like, nope, I have to. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it it does. There definitely is like a path through this game that they want you to take. It's interesting for me to hear about all the different variations that they do have in spots because to me, it seems so, so very linear, which I, I don't mind. But it's just that... They, they, they present a lot of options, especially in the middle of the game or the beginning of the game, where it's like, if you feel like you can play the dialogue options differently. You feel like you can play hardball or not with a conversation, but you really can't. You really just go forward. I did. Yeah, I did find that interesting. And I told this to you and Gabe uh, when you guys were playing through, but um, for Adam and James who didn't see it, it was very interesting watching them play through Susan's flashback scene with her and Eric and little baby Zoe. Um, because Gabe and McCoy were playing the dialogue options as if they could have influenced pa- the past. <laughs> like, because like, eventually, like, you guys were wondering if you could have put the flowers anywhere else other than Zoe's room. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, you can't. You can't put them on the piano. You can't put them on the table because she just says, Eric will see them. And... um. You know, I don't want them to be so out in the open and you are forced to put them in Zoe's room no matter what. But I just found it interesting that after that whole scene plays out, you're like, oh, my God, we put the flowers in the wrong spot. Oh, my God. Like, and I'm like, no, Zoe ends up dying. Like, yeah. She's got to die. <laughs> this this, is the this already happened. By the way, fun fact, when I walked by the piano, all I heard was literally like, Zoe tooltip stopping like you know Eric would see those <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like of course dude <laughs> looks like looks like you're trying to hide something for your husband would you that, like some help with that yeah <laughs> that's, that's another artistic thing though that I really liked with the game that whole flashback scene um especially with Susan's inner monologue just being painted across the walls Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, that was cool. Like you're I, on the like phone that. with uh you're on the phone with your lover and at one point, at least with some of the dialogue tra- options that I used, at one point like she says like I have a family now and I really love Eric and as soon as she says that sentence something like well, is just liar 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 yep. liar liar and yep. I'm just like Yeah, that was so cool. Damn. <laughs> like, I did I said the same thing and I was like, "Whoa." For a small game yeah. with a small team, they have such a variety of backdrops and environments and story. Like, they did not seem to have anything that they couldn't go for. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, they're small, so we're going to see the same thing over and over and over again, and it's going to be repetitive. Like, they really found ways to do crazy shit with all sorts of stuff. There were some gaps, though, like Crow.Wav. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, but, of course, it, it is a small team. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Um, I looked at their Steam page for their new game that's coming out, and right on the very first scene of this game is the exact same microwave that's in her apartment is in their new game. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, there's probably some continuity. Actually, Um, there is. Go on, tell me about this. Oh wait, really? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us. No, 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 no. I was no. just making a dumb joke. <laughs> no, 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 it's no, no. It's a Marvel level. Not only the newest game, but also about the previous game. Downfall, I believe. Yeah, so you guys were curious about Joe Davis and Ivy Davis. Um, yes, that unresolved and, slot hook. Yes, and truth be told, that is Joe and Ivy Davis are the subject of their first game. 
uh, downfall. And um, downfall is another psychological horror game where you play as Joe Davis and your wife, Ivy Davis, she's suffering through anorexia, which actually is hinted in The Cat Lady um, by Susan saying, you know, she's like a walking skeleton. She barely eats a leaf of lettuce a day. She's one of those double zero kind of girls. Um, but anyway, um, you, Joe, are trying to help your wife through uh, her anorexia. And as a result, you decide to do a romantic getaway to Quiet Haven a sign that is found in the basement of the apartments. Um, and that is actually where you are transported to as Susan when um, you are confronted by Joe in his own flat and you fall through the hole and you wake up in this very weird place. That is actually Quiet Haven. Um, so honestly, that whole section of the game was just a callback to how crazy and psychotic Joe Davis is as a character. And originally, Downfall was a very small game that was released before The Cat Lady, had no voice acting. The game was like only an hour long or something like that. Um, but after the success of The Cat Lady, um, the Harvester Games decided that they were going to ditch the hour-long downfall and recreate it with voice actors and with a whole full-fledged story. Um, so technically, Downfall is the sequel to The Cat Lady. And um, their third game, which will be coming out next month, called... James, do you have the name right there? Oh, God. It's a, it's a female name, right? Lorelei. Yeah. Lorelai. Lore, yeah, Lorelai. Yeah, so Lorelai will be the third and final installment in that world. So all three games kind of bounce off of one another in terms of just scenery and plot points in this world, which is also like kind of played into my theory that this isn't an, an actual reality. This is some weird other dimensional space that all three of these stories live in. I could see it being like uh, a limbo. Yeah. yeah. It, there is one thing I... You guys probably got this as well, but there's a it's like you live on like Helen's Helen Street or something right, like that. Yes. Um, and the upper two tines of the second E are worn away, as is the N, so it spells yep. Hell Street. It's like, haha, how clever of you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I could I could see that. I guess it kind of annoys me slightly that that this like they have. I don't know, doing references like that where you are kind of required to have seen the other thing to get it at all, and it's otherwise just kind of there and annoying. Um, like the they have a kind of, I can't remember if it's post-credits or something, but they have a little scene where Joe Davis and Ivy are like in a basement and, and there's like that kind of stuff happening. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was totally unaware of all this stuff that, that Zoe has just enlightened me about. Um, and it was kind of like... Uh, Okay, I guess. It's like a good right. reference to me is a reference that people who know what to look for will see it, and it doesn't get in the way of people who aren't looking for it. Right. It's definitely a very, like, yeah. It's 
a rather silly thing, especially since Joe Davis is seen like the whole searching is flat. So much of it relies on references to downfall. So otherwise, it's just this weird clusterfuck of just weird stuff happening. And you kind of almost like leave his apartment and then, and then it's anticlimactic because then Mitzi's like, oh, well, it's not Joe Davis. And I'm just like, what the fuck was all that stuff that just happened then? Like, what, yeah, that's what, what is going feeling. on? Also, bonus points for how useless the police are in this. Like, there's literally <laughs> a skeleton lying, like a skeleton that was devoured by cats lying in Susan Ashworth's apartment. No one ever talks about it again. It's just part of the furniture now. And like, no one ever investigates the multitude of deaths. And even when you try to call the police to say, hey, I am currently being kidnapped, the police are like, oh, this sounds like an animal control issue. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm thinking it's not an actual, it's it's not an actual reality. Like, it's so weird how insulated that world is from all external forces. Yep. Yeah. Like, I can definitely see that as a reading. Like, for me, I'm not convinced in part because of the jank and the screwiness with other bits in this game. Like, the, um, you know, that note disappearing. Like, that's, okay, I'm fixating on that too much. But in general, there's, like, jank, and some things are just puzzles. And, like, they have no bearing on the plot and stuff like that. And because I'm not sure which way it goes either way, it's kind of like... I can see your reading. I think there is textual evidence for it. There is not enough textual evidence for it that I am fully convinced. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And that might be where it stays. <laughs> Jesus, no. that's creepy. <laughs> no, I mean, like, look, I, I also thought, like, that was what was sort of tipping me off, off last episode was the all interactions with forces that should help you are evil, like police and the psychologist and even pest control. Like, just every time an outside force comes to deal with you, they instantly turn on you and are evil and are trying to kill you. And that, to me, is a sign of psychosis. That, to me, is a sign of non-reality. Like, at some point in time, a reasonable person could come along and actually be like, what the fuck is happening? But instead, they're all in on this scheme. Even though they're not connected, they're in on a general premise, which is, I'm going to get you and I'm going to fuck you up. And I just think, like, that, to me, sort of, like, creates this, like, well, where are we really? Um, is that our interest? Well, it's worth noting that the actual police are out to get you. In real life? Yes. Have you had that experience? <laughs> no, it's you, it's, it's you in particular. Yeah, McCoy, you are being hunted by them. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fine. Um. But I mean, like, even places like the hospital, like, yep. I don't know, throughout the whole hospital, I was like, this is a janky-ass hospital. Like, who on earth would think it's okay for the receptionist to also be the cleaning lady and like they forcefully drug patients at will and and you know it's there's a lot of really well and then like you know the bathroom has just a smashed mirror with a piece of glass lying in a suicide ward where it's like hmm, nobody cleaned that up like so that's why i'm just kind of thinking like something's a little off with the world and they didn't even do the uh, oh don't worry this is America quip there like really? it's not <laughs> every time guns guns appeared it's like what what do you mean I'm not an American yes they did say that no but like even the, there, there um, were a couple bits I think two or three like, where they did that the receptionist though like not only doesn't seem to care and has all these roles but she also like doesn't even know your name 
and doesn't care at all about you. I mean, that's like a very clear message to me about like the system does not care about you at all. And I think that's throughout all the interactions with anything that can be outside, labeled as a system outside of you. Because they didn't even know your name and you could tell them over and over again and they just didn't care. Like you were an object or a thing to them that they just needed to like do or whatever. And I guess. Um, or it's just bad dialogue options. Who knows? Right. Making yeah, that, you that's like the switch thing. the who knows hospital bit. bracelet. And that's the thing, like, and I think this is what you're getting at, Adam, like, again, it will just wind back with the intentionality of the game designer. Um, And yeah, so it's just one of those things where, like, I feel like just enough things are off. But I mean, who knows? Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, this is reality. Everyone just accepts that there's like cannibals and psychopaths that walk our streets. But like, yeah, (laughs) who knows? I know for sure I will be playing Downfall, and when it comes out, I'll be playing Lorelei just to see the connections. Um, at least with Downfall, I know Susan Ashworth comes back in that game, so I'm very curious to uh, see what her future role will be. But I know that I will not be playing his game. Unless it's chosen uh, for the game club, eh? I don't know I feel like this is like the indie game stuff that I feel like in my mind's eye Adam would just love like not necessarily saying that you would love the mechanics or you love the game or whatever but I just in my mind's eye you would celebrate the fact that these small this small team is making such a massive world of multi-connected games with this crazy psychological thriller theme that weave in and out of each other and in and out of reality I just feel like if you love indie games like how how is it that you could possibly love not love this like I feel like this may not be perfect or whatever but this is like a pretty impressive showing from such a small team like they They've brought a lot to the table here. I think there's definitely something to be said for... I think that I have perhaps judged this game in a different category than it deserves, deserves to be judged. Um, I think that... And maybe that that is is to this game's credit, is that I am judging it um, to the same degree I might judge a larger game. Um, although, uh, as a note, um, this whole like cool indie thing has been... The, the cool indie thing with the interconnected games thing um, immediately makes me think of the Chizoa Mythos uh, series of games, which I think is a seven-part series of games um, by... They're also horror point-and-click adventures, or at least some of them are. Um, and I think those are probably a little bit better, but, I mean, that's you know going to be subjective in the end. Yeah, I really think it just it depends on the tastes. Like, I don't think... You know, different genres or different styles of indie games call to different people. Um, I just personally was very drawn by this game's aesthetic. Um, And I do... The fact that the story looks to be a lot more than it appears on the surface, um, I get really interested in that. I mean, I looked up the significance of spiders because of this, because I was just like, there's got to be a reason for some of this stuff. and. I don't know, it was just enough stuff where, like, with a little bit of further, like, research, um, it all just ended up relating to the game in some way. Like, I don't know, I could have just looked up significance of spiders, and they're just like, spiders symbolize happiness and surprise, and like, that makes no fucking sense. But it was just the fact that after, like, looking into these symbols, it was interconnected with the game. And it was just kind of like a mini surprise that way that I really enjoyed. 
Potentially. Um, I mean, I don't mean to... It's weird because I'm, I seem to be bouncing back and forth between intentionality versus non-intentionality. Um, but it's also possible that the, the game designers were unaware of that particular bit of spider symbology and were just like, everything here has to be edgy and, and dark and spiders fit in that category. Right, but it's the fact that it also fits, and I, I don't know, I like that. Intentional yeah. or not, I think it was a smart decision on their part. Yeah, I, I, well, I think I agree with you that under your reading, um, it is a cool thing that, they, that, that has happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so right. do we dare give this game a rating? Do we dare go around, give thumbs up, thumbs down? I mean, I think, I think it's fair, we've done it. We've done it with all the rest of the games. This one's no exception. Sounds good. Um, let's start with Gabe. Let's do reverse order here so Adam can can get on his soapbox at the end. Nice. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. There was a lot of, you know, kind of game mechanics that I didn't love, and my main gripe with the game was the uh, the voice acting. It was very jarring for me, but I loved the story and how it felt kind of fresh, at least to what I've seen in games. So it's a thumbs up from me. That's going to be a sort of yes from me, dog, <clears throat> is what you're trying to say. Exactly. It's a sort of <laughs> yes from me, dog. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this a uh, thumbs down. I, I think that, uh, I just really did not like the way that you interact with this game. Um, I didn't like the, the... I thought that, that some of the writing was pretty cool. I thought the concepts could have been um, interesting if I was able to connect to them, but I just couldn't... <clears throat> Yeah, so I, yeah. I guess one and a half thumbs down. Let's <laughs> just like bastardizing. <laughs> There's like three Thank and a half degrees down. Um, yeah, okay. No, fair enough. Absolutely. Uh, I'll give one. this game one thumbs up. Um, it's definitely not like the best game I've ever played ever. Um, and I think I think a lot of my factoring to reasoning was kind of what I've said before about how it just appears that there's more to the story than just face value and how there just seems to be so much more detail. Um, and like I said, intentional or not, I guess we'll never know unless I can write to the developer on Facebook and be like, was this intentional? And he'd be like, yeah, or no. I mean, honestly, do that. Send them an email or something. I was going to say, that busy. He's, uh, they're, they're actually very receptive on Facebook. It's actually kind of adorable to watch. Um, he's just been posting a lot about his um, production of Lorelei, and he actually live streams himself creating the art scenes and the sprites for the game. So, like, it's... I don't know. It's it's very cool to see such a small studio with such a big heart um, go out and make these games. Um, and it makes me excited to actually play, uh, you know, to play Lorelei just because I want to see if there's a little bit of development with the stuff that made this game so janky. And that's my reasoning for not giving it two thumbs up. Um, kind of like what was said, you know, audio issues, uh, mechanics are janky. Um, 
a lot of things that seem to be logical in the game aren't really logical. It really forces you to put, you know, one pin into one slot and nothing more. Um, and I think that was just limitations for the game developers at the time. And hopefully now that they've had experience creating these games, maybe something like Lorelei will, you know, be more fleshed out and better. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. Can you email him, tell him that we'd love to do voice acting for his next game. Yeah, please. Oh my god. Yes. Set it in America. <laughs> All of us, I'll be especially any Adam. Crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually yeah, have the I'll, just, uh, I'll right play one of the, the podcasts. I'll play one of the one of the screaming people. Um yeah, I'll be one of the people in the background that we can have for scream.wild. Adam can literally be the error message when you interact an object with something that shouldn't be. Like, <laughs> actually, no, I've got a, I've got a better one for that. You guys know that that uh, like vine of uh, the person who's like sit, speak to this like little puppy, and someone has voiced over the speak part, and the dog just goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just throw that in. That's the error message. Nice. So he'll he'll ask for dialogue for you, like, hey, could you give me like you know these paragraphs, and you just send him back that GIF mm. or whatever that line. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <exactly. laughs> um, Perfect. Thank you. Fun fact: this new uh, game will be in Unity, a different engine. So that may smooth a lot of the stuff around the edges, just by the nature of being in an engine that you know works and stuff. Does it really, though, McCoy? <laughs> Anyways. Um, all right. Yes. Uh, I would give this game a two thumbs up for me. Like, I really, really appreciated what this game is doing. I know it's not perfect, but to me, a game does not have to be perfect. And the the um, sort of obsession with perfection, I think, is just a flawed pursuit. Like, I don't see amazing games being perfect and that being like what takes them over the edge or that it's valuable that a 10 out of 10 means perfect like i just don't see that in my own life to me it's like i look at the games that i've played and i look at how much i enjoyed this game and this game uh convinced me that it was going to do things outside of what i expected it to do and that sort of breaks this illusion of like i'm just following the tracks that you're putting out for me like let's see where this goes i guess even though i already know and i love that uh, it was open to a lot of interpretation. It had a lot of cool things that it was setting up that maybe it did or didn't execute on, but it didn't matter. Like to me, I really enjoyed trying to piece this together, trying to follow it, trying to figure it out. And from a small team, like just context of what it was, I mean, there's just so like, there's just so much heart in this game. There's so much effort and, and so much, weird connections and so much weird stuff I, I i didn't really i don't know the puzzles man yeah i get it it's it's fair they were not amazing but to me they were the thing that was more of just like i have to get through this i have to sort of understand how the system is working and then i can get to more of just something that i've not really experienced with other games very much like this was a very novel thing it was a very forward and out there thing that i i didn't see coming so i'm really thankful for having played it um and uh yeah two thumbs up for me um yeah so for me uh, i give it two thumbs up this is a shiny example a paragon nice. of games and it there cut it this belongs up there <laughs> <laughs> all right Gabe, what are we playing next week <laughs> uh, yeah no i very much did not like this game um it like 
playing it, like actually playing it was kind of like pulling teeth um, that I have to use a few. I felt obligated almost to use a walkthrough to get through this game. Um, not only because the puzzles are weird, but also because the feedback that you get is a little weird. Like what I was talking about earlier about the jank around it. Like we, we kind of all agree that the, the actual execution of the moment to moment moving around doing things is not the best. Um, I think that this story was, it was there. It was, uh, I, I think it got better in the second half somewhat, or, or perhaps I had judged it a little bit harshly uh, earlier on. But on the other hand, it does a lot of things that I find kind of bad. Um, like the hour-long conversation we had earlier about how it treats mental illness. Um, I think that there is not enough showing or telling, uh, and there's just like not textual evidence for any readings, almost, other than like a literal reading, which also doesn't make sense. Um, so like you have to do backflips to get this game to make sense, and it's hard to defend anything about it. Uh, well, sorry, hard to defend... Um, like theories about what this game is. I think Zoe's done a very good job of it, but I, again, I'm not convinced by her reading with the textual evidence that I have seen. Um, I think it's, it is it is a good attempt to improve the game. <laughs> so props to you, Zoe. Um, it's but, all because of that goddamn note on the goddamn door. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> keeping you back. It's the one <laughs> bug. <laughs> yes, the, the one, one bug. The one bug ruined it all for you. He was on the fence. Yeah, Adam was No, actually what ruined this for me, yeah. I, I absolutely could not empathize with Susan Ashworth after she claimed that tomatoes were vegetables. Um, zero out of ten. Um, <laughs> even yeah. if she was corrected right afterwards, I cannot empathize with a character who believes that tomatoes are vegetables. Understood. Um, yeah. No. Like it, it, and I don't mean to say that this game is irredeemable. Like there are some cool points to it. Uh, they had some good, they had some good moments. Um, the art assets, the art style was was unique. Um, well, probably not fully unique, but it's something you don't see a lot, um, and I don't think I've seen before. And it was pretty interesting. They did some cool things with the visuals. They did. They, there were cool moments. Um, but they're so overshadowed with, you know, the rest of it, that I cannot recommend this game. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where I land with it, in case that was a surprise for anyone. I'm shocked and appalled. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I want to just throw in at the very, very end is a just an interesting concept about how the media is distributed in the world, and that is that this game on Steam has a 93% positive. And if you think of Adam's experience here, you know he was not going to give this a positive review. But it is interesting that the people who self-selected into this game that saw this trailer and thought, all right, maybe that's a game for me, loved this game. Like, loved this game beyond a typical indie game that maybe had some ups and downs. And I just think that's interesting. And I just think this game was a brilliant choice because it was so divisive among us. Like, I learned so much about how Adam sees games and how I see them differently from an experience like this. And I think that's, like, an awesome thing. Like, just to see that I'm probably part of that community that might have self-selected into this and would have loved it all the way through, but that, you know, essentially we had to force you to get in here. And once we did, you were like, and I didn't want to be in here, and I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> and fair enough. And for, for, what it, for what it's worth, I actually did have a lot of fun ripping into this game. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not like, Zoe, this is a bad choice, and I hate you now. Like, no, no, I appreciate that you picked this game. Um, but... I didn't like it. McCoy, it sounds like you're about to have 93% of Adam's fist up your ass. 
<laughs> Damn, I should have used that. Wow. And see. Like, <laughs> so what are we playing next week, Gabe? End of podcast. Oh, my uh, fucking God. Yeah, who, who's choosing, Gabe? Yeah. So I was thinking uh, for next week, we go in a little bit of a different direction, and we all play uh, Human Fall Flat. Oh, cool. I'm really liking the different direction bit. Yeah, it's not really a narrative game, so you can kind of take that as you will. But Wait, can Zoe and I try to like figure out the themes of the game, though? Yeah, dude. <laughs> you can try. Don't at me. I will try. <laughs> what is this game? Uh, can you elevator pitch it, or do you have any idea? Like, Is it a multiplayer it game? Is, is it, a it is a multiplayer game? game, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, you can do everything on your own if you so choose. But it's, you probably shouldn't, right? I'd say it is better with people, um, but it is... How many people? Up to eight. Okay, so we could actually all play this together. Yeah, that'd be rad. It's basically just like kind of a physics interaction game, and you're basically trying to get from point A to point B. <laughs> is this okay. similar oh, to... Boy. Oh, God, what's that game where everyone stands on top of each Angry other? Angry Birds? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't have to talk about the... Oh, Counter-Strike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> People do actually stand on top of each other and kind of They strike. can, that's true. This is real. No, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a, it's like you build a pyramid of human beings all jumping on top of each other. Oh, Mount Your Friends? Uh, it sounds like Apex Mount your friends. Legends. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys trying to play Apex? After? No, uh... <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's like a physics-like, kind of like multiplayer, fun, laugh around, whatever sort of game, right? Pretty much. Cool. Looking forward Plus to you it. Can buy a, uh... I mean, to be honest, we've had like. Oh, I was gonna say you can just you can buy a four pack of the game for like twenty twenty five bucks. So. And then and then someone gets screwed. Well, I already have the game, so. I I just oh, my bad. <laughs> oh. I just bought it. That's all good. I didn't see uh, that. Refunded on no refunded on Steam because you can just do that within the. First oh yeah, I can just do that. Test. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Yeah. How do I do that? I don't know. Use the internet, <laughs> man. I've never, I've never refunded anything. I should. Let me Google Absolutely. that for you. Yeah, that, yeah, amazing. yeah. Anyone have? It's actually anyone, easy. Can, can someone time. find me a link for Let Me Google That for you? Actually, send me a Let Me Google That for you link that links me to Let Me Google That for you, so I can send James a Let Me Google That for you link on how to find Steam. Hey, uh, Adam, could you get out of your fifteen deep meta ball and uh, <laughs> get it? <into laughs> hey, hey, that was a real joke. <laughs> that was a joke that worked, and you know it. <laughs> wow. Ouch. <laughs> so we're getting the human fall flat four pack is that what we're getting <laughs> thank you <laughs> he just links in chat a let me google that for you let me google that for you <laughs> beautiful great choice